Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you this morning with imperfect desires. There's a part of us that desires to know you and to love you and to worship you with our entire being, to, to feel your presence, to be convicted of how we are not walking with you and to walk in light of the beliefs that we have in you. But God, we know, we confess that there is another part of us that, that does not want those things. There's another part of us that wants our own kingdom and our own desires. And, and God, I pray that your spirit in us would win that battle this morning. I pray, God, that we would wait with eagerness what you have to proclaim to us this morning, that we would, be, that we would see all this as good news, that we would rejoice, and that we would be forever changed which is done by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to talk about waiting, which makes sense and is fitting during this time of year as the whole idea of Advent is to wait and to build anticipation um, for Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't typically like waiting and I think that comes from being a child. And, and as a child, I, um, I was always, almost always without fail, the last one to be picked up from everything. And so it kind of scarred me. Anybody with me in that? Anybody, anybody the last person to be picked up? All right. My favorite is when kids raise their hands with that. Yeah, that's me. Um, so I, I, I hated that. And so it kind of scarred me from waiting, this idea of being the, the last one to, picked up, to be picked up. Some of you um, in your households, like you experience this on a daily basis. I know that in every household, um, there is the person who is the first one who is ready to go. How many of those are, are you there? Like, who are you? Which of you? Man, nobody wants to part. Like, it's not like everybody else doesn't know. Like, all oh, the whole family's like. So everybody has that family. You have family member who's the first one to go and the family member who's the last one to go. Who's the last one to go? Maybe you're more bold. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That is, that is what, thank you. Like, look at that, more enthusiasm there. That one, yeah, I own that. All right, so um, I'm, I'm the worst because I hate waiting and, then, and I'm usually the last one too. So like I, I'm just, I despise myself in the midst of it. It's, it's, that's a whole other issue that we could go into later. But um, the reality is that we understand that this is a problem for all of us. Nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to, to have to hold on or, or be patient. And that's why we've, we've joked about before that the number one thing that people pray for is patience. And really what we're saying in that is we're not actually praying for patience. We're just praying that we never have to be made to wait again. That's pretty much what our desire is. And yet we see, if we read the scriptures at all, we see that waiting is a theme throughout the Bible. That it is everywhere throughout the Bible. And it's always striking to me how I can look at scripture and see something over and over and over again and yet think somehow my life is supposed to be void of that thing. I mean, we see in scripture, and we've covered so much of this over this series, how Abraham was caught, had to wait and wait and wait for a son. 
how Jacob had to wait in exile, how Joseph waited in prison. The people of God waited hundreds of years to be delivered from Egypt. And as we talked, they, they, they waited another 40 before they could even be entered, or before they could even enter the promised land. And they wait for the temple to be rebuilt and the nation to be reestablished. And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we don't like it because in those times of waiting, waiting can feel so silent. God feels so silent in those times of waiting. There's a lot of silence in waiting. I mean, I've sat with a lot of families over the years in, in hospitals, and I'm always struck by waiting and waiting. This, this week, I, I waited with family members and friends for, for my dad um, to get through surgery, and it, it, it all went incredibly well. But there's that waiting, and what I'm struck by in that is how people who talk so much on a regular basis can sit there for hours and say very few words. So much silence. Waiting can feel dark. I mean, the whole thing about waiting is that there's something to be revealed. You're waiting for a, a resolution or waiting for news or waiting for something to come to fruition. And, it, and so it feels, it can feel dark. You're waiting for, for light to shine in and reveal what it is you've been waiting for. And so the people of God and over and over again in Scripture are waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, as the Old Testament comes to a, a close... They are left waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for God to fully and finally deliver them. In Ezekiel, we see this passage, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And we know that this is said after David has lived and died, and so he's not talking about the past David. He's talking about the future David, the future king, chief shepherd. And so the people are waiting for this deliverance. But what we know is between the last words of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus, they would wait for hundreds and hundreds of years. They would wait in silence. No prophets, no word from God. And that's ultimately what Advent is about. Waiting with a purpose. And so what I want to do this morning is address just three things. I want to address why does God have us wait? Why all the waiting? I want to address the, the gifts that are given to us in the waiting, and then I want to address how then do we wait? Why does God have us wait? The gifts we find in the waiting and how we should wait. So why? Why does God 
have us wait so much? Why, why, why doesn't he just give us what he's going to give us? Why does he not just deliver his people? Why, why did he not, right after Adam's sins, why did he not just give Jesus right then and say, okay, you sinned, you fell short, you, you've been kicked out of the garden, but then the next day, why couldn't he just say, and now I've redeemed you and bring you back in? Why all the waiting? We see part of the reason in 1 Peter First, he, he tells us what he's, what he's giving us, what he's offering us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what we have here is what God is giving us, what he is offering, what he's been promising from the beginning, that in his mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We have this living hope that is in the, the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That not only are we raised, we will be raised from the dead, but we are given an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable. And that inheritance is being guarded by God's power through our faith, through which we're going to be delivered to that. So that's the gift that he's giving. And, and God's desire is that we would receive that gift and enjoy it for all eternity to the glory of his name. That's his desire for us. It's not just to give us the gift. It's that we would enjoy it. It's that we would understand it and be able to receive it and it would cause us to just worship him and to enjoy him forever and ever. And so Peter goes on and he says, in this you rejoice. So in that gift, in all that, this, this undefiled um, treasure and inheritance in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials why so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ here's the thing God doesn't just want to give you a gift. He wants for that when you receive that gift, you receive it with joy and excitement and understanding of what this gift is and what it means. If I gave my beautiful six-year-old daughter a car right now, she would not appreciate it. There are a million things she would rather have than a car. But my oldest, in the next couple of years, he wouldn't be able to imagine a better gift. So we have different perspectives and different understandings. And what God is doing with us is preparing us so that when Jesus returns, we will receive it with the maximum amount of joy that we are capable of, and that that joy would be increasing forever, for all eternity. And so with that understanding, waiting 
just the whole process of waiting in general and specifically with this, will either result in a genuine rock-solid faith through which we will be saved as sons and daughters and heirs of the King for joy for all eternity, or waiting will lead to bitterness and hardness of heart. So what's the difference between those? Well, it's, I think it boils down. It's the difference between seeing waiting as, as waiting for gifts of faith or waiting for our expectations to be met and to be let down. Here's what I mean by that. Here's two pictures of, of waiting. I, I mentioned earlier that I was always the last one to be picked up. And that often what happened after sports practices, I would be sitting and I'd be waiting and waiting and waiting. And all my friends would go home and they seemed all so happy. And I'm sitting there on the curb waiting. And while I'm waiting, am I becoming more excited to see my mom or more bitter? Well, maybe you're holier than I am, but I was becoming more bitter, right? Because why? Because I'm expecting that she is supposed to be picking me up as I walk out the door. In all reality, if I was to articulate it, what I'm thinking is I should walk out the door when I'm ready. You know, take my time, whatever, talk to my friends. But as I walk out the door, she would be just pulling right up and would barely have to slow down as I just get into the car and we drive off. And if that happened, if that imaginary scenario, which never happened, actually happened, I would not meet that with joy. She would have merely just met my expectations. That's what she should have done. She should have been there right then, right there, for me to just get in the car and drive off. Compare that to another kind of waiting that I did as a kid on Christmas morning. My dad is a photographer, which meant that he didn't just need to get a picture. He needed to get the best possible picture. So while all of you, like, you know, maybe just had flashes on your camera or whatever, my dad sets up lighting because it's not enough to just have a picture of us coming down the stairs. It needs to be properly lit as we come down the stairs. And so that takes time. And as you might imagine, for like an eight-year-old, that is brutal. However, as we're waiting... That waiting did not rob us at all of the joy of Christmas morning. In a weird, strange way, it actually built the anticipation as we're standing there and waiting because we're so excited to get down to the bottom of the stairs and see what's there. See, our flesh defaults to waiting on God like the last kid to be picked up at practice. We have an expectation of what's supposed to be happening, about our plans that we have. And it isn't happening in our timing and in the way we want, and so we get frustrated. We wonder if God has forgotten about us. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're waiting and you don't know why God is taking so long. You think that he must not understand you or must not know you or must not care about you. You're waiting for God to meet your expectations and your plans. And even if it happens, God will merely have just met your expectations. And he did it slowly at that. And that will lead to bitterness and hardness of heart. We see that all throughout the Bible. The waiting often caused bitterness. Why? 
because their expectations were not being fulfilled. But there's another kind of waiting, a waiting with anticipation of what's to come, of excitement of what is to come. That is for those who believe they're waiting for a gift that they cannot yet imagine. They don't know what's in those boxes wrapped up. They don't know what is going to be given, but they're just excited for what it would be. And so, yes, in those moments, you wish that God would hurry up, but yet you know that there is a purpose. Jeremiah was a prophet during a very unsettled time with God's people and the history of God's people. So Jeremiah grew up during a time when when Judah was under the reign of Assyria, and I'm not going to go into a whole Old Testament history lesson here, but the bottom line is Judah was under Assyria, Assyria was defeated, and then they were caught in the struggle between Egypt and Babylon. And so what happened was, is it went back and forth. Eventually, the king Nebuchadnezzar of of Babylon came and and had, um, and and basically kidnapped a bunch of um, the people from Judah to just make sure that they would um, squelch any rebellion that could happen. And so he took the king and he took, you know, a bunch of skilled workers and and took them and and brought them to Babylon. And during that time, as these children of God were exiles in Babylon, um, some false prophets rose up and told the people, they said, hey, this isn't going to be very long. You're going to go back any day now. God's going to, he's going to take you back to Jerusalem any day. But Jeremiah confronted those. Those were false prophets. He contradicted and he confronted these false prophecies, telling God's people ultimately to settle in for a long wait. He told them to plant gardens and build houses and get married and do all these different things. Live your life. Don't listen to these false prophets. Live your life. This is, this is God's plan for you. And he says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So he's saying 70 years it's going to be, so so settle in. And then the famous verse that so many of us know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is telling them that they are going to wait a long time. And he's telling them that this is a good plan. That these plans I have for you are good. He's telling them the plan is for you to wait. Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, waiting is not an interruption to the plan. It is the plan. There's something that you can grasp from this right now. If you are in the midst of waiting and a struggle, please understand this. That your waiting is not an interruption to what God is doing in your life. He's not having you hold on while he figures things out because it just takes him more time than he thought it was going to take him. He's not, not forgotten about you. He's not paying attention to other things. And then like, well, when I'll get to you in a moment, when I get this all dealt with, he's, he's not doing any of those things. The waiting is the plan. It is the design. And the plan is good. 
Because there are innumerable gifts that God gives us through the waiting. And there, are, there are so many, but I'm just going to just name a few of them. One is, it reminds us that we are not in control. He says, I know the plans I have for you. It's an interesting translation. We don't, the literal Hebrew there of the I is actually two eyes. So it's, it's I, I know the plans I have for you. It's like this emphatic, like I know them, me. So God's saying, you, you don't know them. These false prophets don't know them. These people that you're listening to don't know them, which by the way, we listen to all kinds of terrible advice and terrible counsel from all kinds of people when God is so clear in so many things. And he's saying, I, I know the plans I have for you. You don't know. You are not in control. No, no one around you is in control. And for some of you, that is an incredible weight off your shoulders because you're tired of trying to be in control. You're tired of trying to play God. You're trying to control, maybe control your children or control your spouse or control your world or control your job or control the, you know, your finances and your economy and all these things and, and trying to control politics. And so you just, the stress of that is overwhelming. And to just know God saying to you, you're not in control. This is not about your plan. This is not about your decisions. I have plans is an incredible weight off your shoulders. But it's not for all of us. Because some of us haven't learned that yet, that we can't be in control. And so we, we wrestle that control back from God constantly. And for, for those who do that, then bitterness awaits. See, the thing is, God is the one who knows the plans. Whether, whether you think you're in control or not, you're not. God is. He knows the plans that he has for you. And that's a good thing because his plans are better than yours. Just flat out across the board, God's plans are better than yours. And one of the reasons that we resist that idea is because we, we just we are so convinced that we know what we want. We're just so convinced of it. And so when our plans aren't being achieved, when we're not, we don't have that kind of control, then we start to take matters into our own hands and we, we, we wrestle more control and we don't, we don't, we don't relent to God. We, we, we battle him more and more. And so we see with people in scripture, we see with Abraham and, and the birth of Ishmael as he was supposed to be waiting for Isaac. We see it with God making, God's people making a golden calf because they think Moses has abandoned them. But God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Think, think about something you're planning right now. Anything that you are making plans for, something that you have been working towards, something you've been praying for, something you have been desiring. Maybe it's a, it's a promotion or a relationship or a house or a child or whatever it is. What if God said, that's not the plan? I think most of us, a lot of us, would respond, well, yes, it is, right? But what is implied, hear me in this, what is implied when God says, that's not the plan? What is implied there is he says, I've got something better. I have something better for you. 
They are for your welfare, to give you a future with hope. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has something better for you? Do you believe he has something better for you than your plans? If you do, then you wait with anticipation. It's like giving a Christmas list to to your parents, but then always knowing that whatever you ask for, they always do something better. So you almost don't even want to. I have people in my family that I don't want to give them a list because they are just incredible gift givers. And I, I, I look at them and I think, if I told you what I wanted, I would miss out on the thing that you really would, would give me. I mean, we have other people who are terrible gift givers. Definitely give them a list. But to good gift givers, you don't even want to give them a list. And God is the best gift giver. He is incredible at it. It's, it's, his, it's his thing. He's amazing. And if you believe that, you will wait with anticipation. But if you're waiting for him to fulfill your lesser plans, you will wait with bitterness and frustration. Jeremiah goes on and he says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He has something better for them. He's going to restore them. You know, the irony of the whole situation of me waiting for my dad to take those pictures? If you asked me in that moment, I would have said, Let's just get this over with. I just want to go open my present. And now 30 years later, what has more value? The thing I thought I wanted so desperately that has long since entered a landfill? Or the pictures? He always has something better. And this understanding gives us another gift, which is wisdom. As we understand God, we, we sit back and we watch and we wait on the Lord and trusting him that he has a good gift. We start to see some things, some glimpses, some, some pictures uh, unfold. And so we start to see that, that how God is actually working. And we start to understand like a child who watches um, a parent work on something and, and, and watch them. And they, I, I love watching my children watch my wife cook because my wife is an incredible cook. And so my kids just sit there and they watch and all I can think of is I'm going to eat really well all the way to the end of my life. Every time I go to my daughter's house or my son's house, they're going to cook things. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm glad you watched your mom and not me. <laughs> one, one of my children, I'm not going to mention who, watches me, which is why they can barely pour cereal right now. So I, I sit there and I just, I, I, I watch them do that. And I'm like, yes, watch, watch. And as you watch, you gain understanding, you gain wisdom. And we look at children who who miss that and we think, well, I've outgrown that. Like, yeah, it's great for a child to watch somebody, but I don't need to watch anybody. I'm a grown-up now. I don't need to watch anybody do anything because I have it figured out. But the Bible says that's not true. We are constantly being transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
If you believe that you have already arrived, that you already have these fully formed convictions and conclusions, the Bible calls that foolishness. And you can tell when you come to Scripture that convicts you or confronts some way that you're thinking or some way that you're living. And if you come to that and immediately justify yourself, you immediately think you've, you've either, you dismiss it because you feel like you've already conquered that, or you think it doesn't apply to you, it only applies to other people, or you immediately start saying why it doesn't apply to you or why it's okay that you, that you disobey God in this way. And when you do that, you are functionally saying the Bible and Jesus, Jesus needs to conform to my image rather than me conforming to his. In those moments, you have become wise in your own eyes. And if you have become wise in your own eyes, then all of your waiting will be done in frustration because you're not in control. You will not trust that God's plans are better. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. If in waiting you watch your father and are humble and being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will grow in wisdom and understanding. And in that process... The last gift I'm going to mention is that it, it aids in the sanctification process. You're formed into the image of Christ as your sin is brought to the surface. See, in that confrontation, when I realize that I want to be in control or I trust my own wisdom and not God's, at the same time, when I hear people saying things like that, I hear them say that they want to be more like Jesus. But the fact is that we become more like Jesus in that process as we, as we are confronted with God's wisdom and as we repent of our lack of belief and then we are forgiven and then we are formed by the Holy Spirit as we act in obedience. But for all those things to happen, sin has to be brought to the surface. And when that happens, then we are conformed to the image of God. Let me just give you a very admittedly lame illustration for this and it's a very simple one and seemingly insignificant but I think it points to something far greater so in that whole waiting process and I said like waiting for people um, to be ready uh, it's no secret to anybody that has has dealt with small children is that they are always incredibly slow to get out the door right so the the worst waiting that takes place for me on a daily basis is waiting for my children and trying to spur them out the door and I didn't know until I became a parent how many steps were involved in getting out the door. See, as an adult, I just thought, okay, I get dressed, I put on a coat, and I go outside. It's like three steps, maybe two. That's it. But with a child, it's not just that. It's put on your shoes. Wait, no, no, put, on, put them on the right foot. Okay, put your right shoe on your right foot. Now tie it. Okay, put your left shoe on your left foot. Now tie it. No, don't take your shoe off. 
put it back on, retie it. Okay, now get your coat. No, not that coat, you need a bigger coat. Okay, now you put it, put your right arm in the right sleeve. Like all these steps, it's like 50 million steps to get them out the door and they need guidance on every single one. It's incredibly frustrating. Why? Because I want to go. I mean, imagine a scenario, imagine a, a, a scenario where everyone's ready. All shoes are on, all coats are on, everything's on, everybody, they're already out in the car. They've started the car, I didn't even know they knew how to do that. They turn on the heat, everything's great. I walk out there, I come into a heated car and we drive off singing Christmas carols. <laughs> and in that situation, I'm awesome. I'm the best dad in the world, right? I'm singing Christmas carols with them. Everything's great. And I leave with the false understanding that I'm just a great dad. But I'm not. It's just that all, all of the circumstances lined up in my favor. It's like the Grinch when the, Who, when the Who's and the Whoville are all singing and that makes his heart grow. I'm like, yeah, what happens the next day when Susie's whining and throwing things around? Like he's going right back. Like when all the circumstances align, if that's when, like, that's when you're, you're doing great, well, there's a problem. And so now look at this. In that scenario, all of a sudden, I, if I wait and I'm watching and thinking about how this is working, all of a sudden I realize what God may be doing in this. See, when the reality happens and I'm frustrated with my kids and anger festers, Why, why do I get so angry? Why do I get so frustrated when my kids aren't getting ready? Well, foolishness says it's because being on time is important. That I'm right in my frustration because my children are wrong for making us late. And they should be obeying and doing exactly what I'm saying. But wisdom sees that my frustration is because my plans are being foiled. Because my lack of control is being revealed. And I don't like that. Because my desires, my plans are being exposed and being thwarted. And I don't like that. And I see my self-centeredness and it's ugly. And I see my anger and my frustration and it's ugly. And without Jesus, that is too much to bear. But with Christ, I also see that I am forgiven in the power of the Holy Spirit, I am able to overcome these things. See, I say that I want God's will to be done, but in waiting, my desires for my own will surface, and that's a gift. So I'm still working on this. Ask anyone in my family. I am still a major work in progress on this, but I am starting to see my children frustrating me as a gift. It gives me opportunities to confront the sin in my heart. And it gives me opportunities to share the gospel with them. If they were perfectly obedient children all the time, I would have no good news to share them. But in their disobedience, I see that it's not an interruption to the plan. I'm seeing it more and more as it is the plan. Because in that plan, how I correct them, how I forgive them, how I love them, is giving them a real-time picture of how their Heavenly Father responds to them.
I want to be transformed in the image of Christ. I desperately want that. It's, these are gifts that come up to realize that sin is ever present in my heart and I don't have to stay that way. I desperately want to change. And when I want that, I wait with anticipation because I know it is in waiting that change happens. If you want to be conformed into the image of Jesus, then you should wait with anticipation because that's exactly what he is doing. But if you want Jesus to be transformed into the image of you, then waiting will be bitterness. Bitterness overall comes from not treasuring Jesus, not valuing, not wanting him more than anything else. And it is an incredible gift that God in his mercy reveals those desires to us on a daily basis if we will see them. Because no matter how much you pray for patience, you will not grow in it until you see these things as good gifts that you desire. If growing into the image of Christ is merely a side thing and one of the things that you want in your life, then you'll never wait with anticipation. It will merely be this side project that you'll get to when you have time, but really what you want is for your plans to be fulfilled. And he will give you a thousand gifts in the midst of it if you'll see them. So how? Just a really practical, quick practical help with this. How then do you wait? If you want to wait with anticipation, how, how do I actually do that? What, what do I do? You have to understand that waiting is active. Waiting is not passive. Waiting in the Bible is not twiddling our thumbs and sitting there and just hoping that, that some news comes out like waiting in a, a um, hospital waiting room. It is active waiting. And we wait with anticipation when we actively remember of all the things that God has done. That's why I encourage people to keep prayer journals. Write down what God has done. Write down things that you've prayed over and asked and begged God for and then write down what he does in response to that. Remember them. Remember. Has he ever failed to fulfill his promises? When you think back on how God, if you think, well, I feel like God has failed me, ask yourself the simple question. Did he fail to fulfill his promise or your expectation? That's an important question to ask whenever you feel let down by God. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're a parent of a young child, I encourage you. We, we have copies. I encourage you to grab one. But in the last story before the coming of Jesus, this is one of the passages. It says, All day they, meaning the people of Israel, listened to stories about the wonderful things God had done for his people. How he made the world. How he gave a special promise to Abraham. How he rescued them from slavery. How he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live. How he brought them to a special land. How he rescued them no matter what, time after time, over and over again. Because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. They remembered how God had always, all through the years, been loving his children. Keeping his promise to Abraham. Taking care of them. Forgiving them. Even when they disobeyed. Even when they ran away from him even when they thought they didn't need him remember him and then pursue him 
Pursue him in the waiting. Remember all that he's done and pursue him. Pray, ask God how he is preparing you. Be refined, be sustained in the word. I mean, look at this, that passage in Jeremiah 29. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Which means that you seek him with everything. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Call upon him. Seek him. Pursue him. And then pursue one another. Love and serve When your treasure becomes Jesus and your whole desire is to be conformed into his image, then you start to love people the way that he has loved them. Give your life for the gospel. Stop settling for lesser things that will not fulfill you and will not last. Don't just receive the gospel and believe it, but then live it out and spread it and give your life to it. Invest in people who are hard to invest in. Love people who are hard to love because your father loved you when you were hard to love. The more you do that and you live out what God has done in you, then the more you will see and the more you will see, the more you will have to remember. You see, our waiting is not done yet. As we wait during the Advent season, we are reminded not only of how God's people were waiting for the Messiah, but we are mindful of how we are waiting for the Messiah to return again. And when he does, he will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will make all the sad things come untrue. And he will prepare for us and open the door for us to live with him in eternity with ever-increasing joy as we worship him. And so every time you wait on God, it is a reminder of how we are waiting for the kingdom. And every time God comes through and waiting with a gift that you could not have foreseen, It is a reminder to us that no mind has conceived, no ear has heard, no eye has seen all of the incredible things that God is preparing for those who love him. Friends, the the Christian life is about waiting. It is not an interruption to the plan. It is the plan. It is not a side thing that we have to deal with. It is the thing that God uses to sanctify us and form us into his image. And we wait with eager expectation because our Father, he knows the plans that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are holy and we love you. God, I pray that you would help us to see that waiting is the plan. And that you are doing that so that we would have faith as refined by fire. That we would have faith that would last. That faith that would allow us to receive the gift of the return of Jesus with incredible joy. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the incredible gifts that are given to us in this waiting. I pray, God, that you would help us to to die to ourselves and to give up control and to give up our own plans and to realize that you have so much better things in store for us. We need help to do that, God.
cannot do that in our own strength. That is only when the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and minds that would understand and hearts that would love the things that you offer. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.